You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. As I began my internship in Aldergrove, I began a series of sermons on 1 Thessalonians, the first letter to the Thessalonians. And this morning, I will again go through the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. And in connection with that, I would like to read with you the beginning of the church in Thessalonica. We'll read Acts 17, the first 15 verses. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous. So... They rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men have caused trouble all over, who have caused trouble all over the world, have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil, and they made Jason and the others post-bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Our text passage then this morning is the first chapter of the first letter to the Thessalonians. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. 
In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I mentioned earlier, this is the first sermon on a series of sermons on the letter to the Thessalonians. Now this book, it's only a short five chapters, but it is a book full of Paul's love for his church. And it's full of instructions for this church that we don't read anywhere else in Scripture. Instructions on how to deal with death in the church. Instructions on what will happen when Christ comes again. And instructions on how to work and live as we wait for that great day. But this letter is also unique because of the church Paul is writing to. Thessalonica was a a huge commerce city. It had a great natural harbor, and it was right along the trade road going through the Roman Empire. And as we read, it was here that Paul and Silas came to preach the gospel as they went around the big Aegean Sea in Greece. It's interesting what unfolds in the account in Acts 17. They come and they preach for three weeks in the synagogues, and some Jews believe, and also some God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But as Paul works among them, as he's making tents, he has some time to preach the gospel, and he does that while he can. But during this time, a huge uprising occurs, led by some Jews. And after a few members from the church are arrested, Jason being one of them, and they're let go, that same night, Paul and Silas have to leave. They go to Berea. But even there, some of the Jews from Thessalonica come, and they stir up trouble again. So Paul and Silas have to leave again, ending up in Athens, quite a ways away from Thessalonica. Think of that church in Thessalonica, brothers and sisters. Two men come to bring this new gospel that you've never heard of before. It causes people to riot against you when you believe in it. And then the two men, they have to leave right away. The leadership, the source for preaching and instruction, it just leaves, it's gone. What's going to happen to this newly found church? It's only a few months in. Well, as we begin in the first chapter of Paul's letter to this church, we see that God has not left this church out on its own. In fact, God has richly blessed the young Thessalonian church since Paul had to leave. And so Paul, having heard of these blessings, begins his letter with a word of thanks to God for the Thessalonian church. And that then is our theme for this morning's sermon. Paul gives thanks to God for working in the Thessalonian church. And we'll see that he does this, that he's thankful, because God has worked in them so that they can be, in the first place, chosen believers, secondly, joyous examples, and thirdly, expectant believers, expectant servants. 
So then, Paul gives thanks to God for working in the Thessalonian church. And we'll look first of all at how they can be chosen believers. Now, what has really happened with the Thessalonian church? Well, Paul must have been wondering the same thing because he sent Timothy to them to see how things had developed. That's what we read a few chapters, or that's what we can read a few chapters later in 1 Thessalonians. And then Timothy came back and gave a report of how well things have been going. And so this letter is really a response to that report that Timothy gave. It starts out with a typical greeting from Paul. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. In some way, these three men, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, are all involved in the writing of this letter. But when we read further on in 1 Thessalonians, you'll see that the word I is used, and that's in reference to Paul. And so we're not mistaken by saying that this is Paul's letter. He is the primary author of this letter. And further in this greeting, we see that the church of the Thessalonians is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful unity between the Father and the Son expressed as God and Lord together here. And the church is in God and in the Lord. They're founded in that God. Their basis and their, for their identity is found in that God. They're united to him and they worship that God. And so to this church, Paul wishes grace and peace. That is his greeting. Now, also typical of Paul is to tell a congregation that he is thankful to God for them and that he prays to God for them. This happens several times in other letters, although not all of them, but it happens here too. Now, what is Paul giving thanks for? What is Paul so happy about when it comes to the Thessalonians? Well, he has heard from Timothy that all has gone quite well while he has been gone. It's a great picture that he sees. And he spends the rest of the chapter describing what he is thankful for when he hears what's going on in Thessalonica. It's not just verse 3 that he's remembering in prayer. We have verses 3 and 4 separated in the NIV Bibles by a paragraph. But really, verses 2 through 5 are all one sentence in the original. And so Paul is actually explaining throughout the whole chapter, he has the same line of thinking throughout the chapter of why he is thankful to God in remembering the Thessalonians in his prayers. And so Paul starts his thanksgiving with a list of three things that he remembers in his prayer. Three things that he gives thanks, gives thanks for. Work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, and endurance inspired by hope. Maybe you can pick out the pattern in those three things. Faith, love, and hope. Faith, hope, and love. The three things that remain, the three great characteristics in the Christian life. Mentioned at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, the famous chapter on love. These three characteristics are evident in the Thessalonians as well. Their faith is producing work, just as it should. Since they have come to actually believe in the gospel, what they believe has pushed them to do something. Because they believe that Jesus Christ has died for them, for their sins, they work for him. They spend their lives doing the tasks that he wants them to do. And they're also filled for love for one another. 
That comes out in their labor as well. Love pushes them to work for others and to work for God. They have a close relationship with each other and they want to do things for each other. And what has hope done in their lives? It has inspired endurance. As we saw in Acts 17, the description of the start of the church in Thessalonica, the people there had to endure intense persecution in this city. Jews were very upset and they had to spend, or they wanted to spend all their energy trying to stop Paul, even if it meant following him out of the city, trying to stop him from preaching. We can see that the persecution in Thessalonica continued later as well. Verse 6 mentions the severe suffering that they had gone through probably after Paul had left. The Jews would have tried to prevent the Thessalonians from getting together, from sharing their faith, and from praising their Savior Jesus Christ. And yet, they were able to continue on, even without Paul and Silas. They were enduring because of the hope that they had in Jesus Christ. We'll see this hope later in the chapter as well, near the end, when they are said to wait for Jesus So Paul thanks God that this is all happening, that they are displaying these three characteristics of a Christian, and he prays that it may continue. And as Paul goes on in verse 4, he then explains that he, he can pray all these things because of what God has done for them. What has God done? Well, we can read, he has loved them, brothers loved by God, but he has also chosen them. Paul says there, he has chosen you. This is the same word used in our Bibles for the word election. God elected. He chose the Thessalonians to believe. Like all believers, they were chosen before the world even began. And they were chosen to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now we can often get confused about election, about about when a very new Christian can be considered to be elect or not. These things can can bother us sometimes, but in some ways we have to leave that in God's hands. We don't know the heart necessarily, but Paul here can boldly, can confidently say that he knows that these new Thessalonians, these new Christians are elect. How? Well, he gives us his reasoning immediately after. He says, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Paul knows because God worked powerfully through him when he was in Thessalonica. He could see that the gospel, that he he preached to them, it worked in them with power. The Holy Spirit was active when they heard it. They showed deep conviction when they heard the word. This is how he can know that they are elect. And Paul speaks similarly about the power of the gospel in in his other letters as well. He told the Corinthians that he did not bring them the gospel with persuasive words, wise or persuasive words, with with rhetoric or fancy language or anything like that. No, the word came by itself and it demonstrated, it showed the Spirit's power, he says. And so the simple gospel message that God saved mankind from their sin, from his wrath, by sending his son to die for us, to save us from sin, that gospel is a powerful message. It changes people. It transforms people. The words do not just hang in the air limply when the gospel is preached. They have force. They convict. 
The Spirit comes with that message. And Paul could see that the Holy Spirit had worked in these people's hearts as well, that deep conviction that comes with the gospel. These people were transformed. They believed. And they too themselves knew that they were saved. And so Paul was able to say that they were chosen. Their reaction to the gospel and God's work in them had made this obvious to him. And Paul encourages the Thessalonians with this. He tells them that he knows that they are chosen. They can be encouraged by that. And again, this is something that Paul can be truly thankful to God about. And thinking about this for a moment, brothers and sisters, when we see evidence, when we see proof that God has indeed chosen us, we too should be thankful, like Paul. We should be thankful when we see God working faith, hope, and love in our hearts and in our lives, and as we go about our work in the church and in the congregation, and when we endure the suffering that we have with hope. We should be thankful for the times that we can see that the Holy Spirit really is at work in our hearts, preaching that gospel with great conviction and with power. And we should be thankful when the, when the gospel is truly changing us and transforming us so that we can believe more, we can obey God more, so that we can show love more in the church, then we know that we are chosen by God. That we are true, we are the true chosen church in which God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ watch over and guide. Individually, our, our faith lives, they can go through their ups and downs, times which are easier and times which are much more difficult. And when we struggle and when we begin to doubt, we can reflect on the times when God worked in us powerfully. We can reflect on the times when he did transform us to do good. And we can also pray to God that he will continue to help us in our struggles and our doubts so that we can, as the Apostle Peter says elsewhere, make our calling and election sure so that we can consider ourselves chosen by God. God will do this. He promises to do this. He says that he will not tempt us beyond what we can bear. He'll provide a way out. And when he does, we can be thankful with Paul that God has chosen us, that he has chosen the church. Now, knowing that the Thessalonians are chosen believers is, is a reason for giving thanks to God, says Paul, but he has other reasons for thanking God as well. The young Thessalonian church, which had only heard the gospel probably a few months earlier, had done more than just have a deep conviction. They had done more than just believe. Their faith was also producing actions as faith always should. Their faith was pushing them to do things. God did not stop in bringing the gospel to the Thessalonians with just belief. God had blessed them to be able to, as our text says, imitate Paul and his companions, to imitate the Lord. They were following Paul's example and the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what their faith is now pushing them to do. And as they were being imitators of Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ, they were doing that in more than just their faith and walk of life. And Paul explains, in spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. They imitated in suffering joyfully. Now, the church here in Langley, I looked it up, it's 37 years old, not too long ago. It's not the oldest church around, not the youngest though. Many of the older members may have grown up in the church much longer than 37 years. 
But in contrast, the church of Thessalonica was only a few months old at best, made up of believers who had only just come to the faith. They had not had time to settle into their church routines, to settle into their different tasks of making the church run smoothly. Everything was completely new to them. They had not even heard of this Jesus Christ before. And just as they're setting up, their leaders abandon them or are forced out of town. And following that, they're persecuted severely. How do they respond? Do they abandon ship? No. They endure the suffering. They imitate Paul and his companions and the Lord. They suffer with joy. In the midst of their suffering, they're actually happy and rejoicing over the gospel. They may be ridiculed. They may be put in jail. They may be treated as outcasts in their, in their society. And they endure it all with joy in Jesus Christ, even though their faith is still fresh and new, even though they've lost their leaders. The Holy Spirit had certainly worked powerfully in them. Reading on, we see that Thessalonica, that young church, they're not just imitators of Paul anymore. They're not just following his example. Though they've been around only for a little while, they actually become the ones that are being imitated. As Paul says, they have become a model to all believers. The joy they displayed in suffering has been an example for not just believers in Macedonia and Achaia, the two big Greek provinces which included the other churches like Corinth and Philippi. No, their gospel went out to the whole world. Their reputation for loving the gospel went out to the whole world, to places like Rome, Jerusalem, wherever Christians were. They were suffering for spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, the man who, crucifi- who was crucified for sinners and was now reigning over the world. And their gospel message, their reputation, it rang out. It rang out. What a beautiful way to describe the message going out. It's a powerful sound. It's like a thunderclap that resounds. It carries over fields and hills. Or it's like a a trumpet that echoes on and on into the distance. The gospel rings out from the Thessalonians. It resounds over land and over sea. Their faith is heard everywhere. As Paul says, their ability to have joy in suffering is given only by the Holy Spirit. Their faith and the way it rang out, that's only thanks to the Holy Spirit. He's working powerfully in them. And it's only through the Holy Spirit that the Thessalonians not only imitated Paul, but became imitators themselves. And what what an example that is for us as well, congregation. It shows us how beautiful it is to make our faith known and to make our joy known throughout the churches, not only here in the Fraser Valley, but across Canada, across the world. It shows us that we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to work in us, to be so centered on the gospel, to be so focused on it and so convicted about it that even severe suffering cannot slow us down. We can still be joyful and unashamed of the gospel that we believe in, whether our church is young or old. The Thessalonians are a model for us to imitate. We can be motivated to be joyful about our faith in Jesus Christ so that our faith becomes known all over. We can be motivated to show our faith, our love, our hope, so that people know that we don't just believe in some religion. We're not just being religious when we come here. 
No, our way is the only way. The way to Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only life. It's the only way to salvation. Then when we see God working powerfully in our church and using our church to spread His gospel, to spread the glory of His name, then we too can be thankful. The last two verses of our text give us just a little more detail as to what else this church in Thessalonica was doing that made Paul so thankful. He says in verse 8 that he doesn't need to say anything about the faith the Thessalonians have and what they are doing because others have already reported it wide. And so he just says that the report that he has heard, he's not going to say anything more. The report itself speaks for itself. And he ends up repeating the report that he was given. And the report gives more details as to how the Thessalonians have been great examples to believers. They have turned to God from idols, our text says. And what are they doing now that they have turned to God? They're doing two things. They are serving the living and true God, and they are waiting for his Son from heaven, Jesus Christ. That's what they're doing while they turn to God from idols. And now, in every age which Christians have lived, we've had to fight against idols in our lives. There are always idols in which we're tempted to put our trust in in this world more than than God. That's what idolatry is, trusting in something more than God. Lord's Day 34 explains that. For the Thessalonians, though, these would have probably been real physical idols, which they would have maybe had in their house, or which they would have gone to the Roman temple to bow down and worship. They were tempted to trust that if they followed these regulations of bowing down to these idols, of going through all the different Roman religious ceremonies at that time, if they did that, then things would go well with them. Thankfully, the Thessalonians had turned away from all of those idols, all of those other gods which they had been serving, and they served, they submitted to the one living and true God. And Paul's word choice is is telling here. His contrast is strong. Paul stresses living because any other idol we could possibly have is not real. It's not active. It doesn't do anything. Money does not live. Possessions do not live. They pass away. They come and they go. The God of heaven and earth, though, is the only God that truly lives. And he continues to live. From the time before creation through to the time of the Thessalonians, through to today and on into eternity, we know that God will continue to live. He is always living. And so he is the only one we can truly put our trust in. No other God can claim the same thing. And at the same time, this God, which the Thessalonians were now worshipping, He is the only true God. He is the only God in which there is actual truth, whom you can actually trust, who makes sense of this world. He's shown us the truth of what He has done. He accounts for us being in this world, for sin being in this world. He explains who he is and what he has done. He has sent his son to redeem us. He's the only one that has a whole complete account of this world. That is the true God that we have. He is unlike any other. 
Everything he tells us about himself and this world is true. And that allows us to trust in him. This is the God that chose the Thessalonians and to whom they turned to from idols. They had a a real and powerful faith now because of this living and true God. And so they submit to him. They start serving him. They are his servants. And they realize everything that he has done for them and they try to obey him. They try to serve him. They try to know about him more. They try to work for him more. To praise and worship him. They're submissive, serving the God that they turn to. And as they serve this God, they're also waiting. They serve expectantly. They're waiting for the Son whom God raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The person that had inspired them to endure earlier, the one whose message they were now ringing out to the whole world, they wait for him expectantly. This is what is reported to Paul, that the Thessalonians are serving God, are submitting, and they're waiting for Jesus Christ. They are waiting, enduring suffering with hope, because the time when Christ comes back, it will be so great for those who believe. Paul will talk about this more a lot in chapters 4 and 5 of this letter. The last day is great because as believers, he has rescued us from the coming wrath. The day he comes back will be an end to persecution. It will be an end to severe suffering. It will show to the world that God is the living and the true God. And this gives us hope as we wait. And this waiting that the Thessalonians do, this is, this is not a passive, idle, sitting around kind of waiting. Paul makes that clear later in the letter. Those who wait for Christ are active. They're waiting for him to return. They're busy building up the church. They're busy working to have that gospel ring out to the entire land. They live in faith, hope, and love among each other, working and enduring for the praise of the true and living God. We too must turn to God from idols to serve the one, only, living and true God. We must wait for Christ's return, preparing ourselves, preparing the church, getting rid of sin in our lives and in the church, and putting faith hope, and love on ourselves. We are expectant servants. We work, we labor, we endure, because we know we have to be ready for the day when Christ returns. It is a day when suffering ends for us as well. No more crying, no more moaning, no more pain, no more broken relationships, no more death. We wait serving God. Only. When we do all these things, like the Thessalonians, we will be a church Paul can be thankful for. When we are chosen believers, when we work as joyous examples, and when we wait in submission to God, then we can give thanks to God for His work among us. We can see evidence of that now among us, and let us pray that we continue to see more and more evidence of the Holy Spirit working in us, working among us. Indeed, a congregation that is joyful, that submits to God, that lives out its life in faith, hope, and love, eagerly awaiting the end times, that is a church we can be thankful for. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.